Hey there, everybody, and welcome to Northern Star Scouting's first episode of what we are going to be calling the Scout Chat on the Air. I am John McDermott. I'm a district executive with Northern Star Council, and I'm going to be your regular host for this show going forward. Some of you may be familiar with the monthly series of videos we've been doing called Scout Chat for over a year or two now. And of course, with the new year comes the opportunity to try and shake things up a bit. So going forward, what we're going to be doing is releasing an episode of this podcast on the first and third Tuesdays of every month to try and deliver as much quality content to you as we possibly can. And hopefully in a way that's easier for you to digest and tune into at your convenience. Uh, The goal is to do roughly 30 minute episodes, kind of hitting some broad topics that you might find useful as you're going into your different programs or working at the unit committee level or even just things going on at the council or in scouting in general. So hopefully you can tune in monthly to those episodes and listen to them at your convenience. We'll be posting them to the council website and hopefully some other podcast related channels that you can check into uh, if you have you know, a Google service or Apple podcasts. We're going to be looking into those things. So Tune in and hopefully give it a listen. We hope you like it. And this week, I'm joined by Ryan McDonald. Thanks, John. We are here to talk about some unit finance stuff today. We always seem to get a number of questions every year about unit finances. Uh, Greg is on the call here, who teaches a class at University of Scouting uh, all about unit finance uh, and I don't think the hour-long class at University of Scouting is even enough, let alone uh, what we have today. But thanks for joining us, Greg. Um, And I guess to start, since we have a limited time, if we could just dive in and you could give a 10,000-foot overview of unit finance, uh, who owns the money, how do you spend the money, who can spend the money. Uh, We always get general questions on that. uh, And I think usually the answer is pretty simple, but uh, sometimes people are unsure. Yeah, of course. Uh, thank you both for having me today. Um, the, the questions about unit finance often revolve around whose money is it? Uh, and when we talk about money in scouting, we're usually talking about money that came through fundraising. Um, in scouting, there are two ways for a unit to acquire money. They can fundraise uh, or they can collect money directly from families, like you know, require payments for things. Um, one thing is that the BSA rules say you can't do is to solicit money. Uh, the difference between fundraising and soliciting is pretty straightforward. Soliciting is when you go to uh, an individual or a business and you just ask them for money. You say, hey, uh, you know, the scouts are doing good stuff in town. Can you give us 50 bucks? You're not allowed to do that. Um, a lot of units aren't aware that that's part of that's national BSA bylaws say that units can't solicit money. Now, if somebody walks into your unit meeting and says, hey, you guys are doing great things. I want to give you $50. You can accept it. That's okay. Um, But you can't go out and ask. What you can do is fundraise. And fundraising is is, uh, um, defined by exchanging a good or a service in exchange for some money that that you can use for your program. And lots of units do uh, the popcorn sale, obviously, is the, the official fundraiser of Northern Stars Council. Um, but there's also things like wreath sales and Christmas trees and like pan- bars. pancake breakfast, pancake breakfast. Yeah. Um, some, some units partner with, you know, the local festival to do a uh, parking lot cleanup or, uh, or fairground cleanup, uh, and they get some money from that. And those are all legitimate, uh, fundraising activities. Um, 
One thing to remember is when you raise money on behalf of an organization, like scouting, um, scouting then owns that money. It's their money. It's not yours. Uh, you know, if you're a Cub Scout who went out and sold a bunch of Christmas wreaths, that's not your money that you earned. That is scouting's money and therefore has to be used for scouting stuff by scouting stuff. Do you want to touch quick on gambling? Sure. Sorry, not actual gambling. Raising funds. Right. Through, so raising funds. So another, another one of the national rules about fundraising is that you can't use games of chance to raise money. And games of chance are anything where uh, the amount of money you spend uh, increases your chances of winning something. So things like raffles, uh, pull tabs, pull tabs, uh, you know those kind of things. Even if you know your local uh, Moose Lodge wants, you know, hey, come out and run the pull tabs, and we'll give you half the money. You can't do it because that's uh, that's associating scouting with gambling, and that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing. Um, if there are ever any questions about the fundraiser that you want to do, there is a form that National has uh, called the Unit Money Earning Application. You can fill out, turn into your local scout office, and they will let you know. Um, is this a legitimate fundraiser? Um, there are some scams out there uh, that would love to take advantage of a local pack or troop. Uh, they try to look for payment up front. Uh, you might have issues with delivery. There's, there's all that kind of stuff. So uh, if there's ever a question, talk to your DE uh, or talk to somebody at the scout office about uh, getting that fundraiser checked out uh, ahead of time. Are there any forms of fundraising that don't require that application? The, the only one that technically doesn't require the application is the official council fundraiser, and that is the popcorn sale. Um, most units have, uh, have at least some point in the past gotten their historical fundraiser approved, whether it's you know wreaths or, or Christmas trees. Uh, and, and we don't see a lot of those applications come back year after year. That's okay. That's okay. Units shouldn't necessarily stress about that. But if you're, if you're partnering with a brand new company or you're trying something that you've never done before, uh, it can be helpful to get that checked out. Now, we've, we've raised that money. We know it is for scouting. As far as the unit account, uh, I, I know this can cause some angst for charter orgs at times and angst for units at times, uh, but who is the, you know, the, the owner of said account and what would you recommend a unit do when the charter org won't give them, you know, a tax ID? Sure. So uh, I'm glad you mentioned charter organizations. So technically, uh, in the BSA, and we, we are unique in this as an organization, but in the BSA, we're, you can consider us like a franchise model, where each unit is technically owned by the sponsor, the charter organization. And that ownership extends across physical property, like tents and Pinewood Derby tracks and trailers, uh, but it also includes intellectual property, like your unit number, or you know, if you have a troop motto, like technically that motto belongs to your charter organization. But it also is money. Uh, the, the money that your unit has or raises is, it falls under the umbrella of your charter organization. And if your charter organization isn't willing to share their tax ID number, then you can go out and get your own. But still, even if you have your own tax ID number, that money belongs to the charter organization. Now, it is extremely rare for any charter organization to come and just dip their hand in the pot and say, ah, we need, we need about half of this to you know, go do our thing. That, that doesn't happen. Um, their, their reputation would be shot overnight. And we would find a new charter organization uh, immediately. However, when there are questions about how money should be spent, 
the charter organization has a lot to say or can have a lot to say about where that money gets spent and how. Um, so when we talk about, in a little bit, when we talk about um, how money gets spent in, within the unit, what, what expenses are considered legitimate, uh, the charter organization gets a vote in, in that kind of stuff. Now, I do, I do want to talk about something I know that you are super passionate about, uh, as am I. Yeah. Uh, and that is from time to time, we see chartering organizations where uh, a unit might uh, fold yep. and the charter organization will reach out to us at the council and say, we've got eight grand that oh. we have to figure out what to do with. And you think about, you're like, why in the world yeah. is the, <laughs> you have $8,000 in your account? How are you folding? Yeah. Uh, so I, what are your thoughts on whenever you those situations happen? What thoughts come to your head? Okay, so there's a couple things there, and I do want to take a little bit of time to unpack those because you're absolutely right. Um, it seems like once every three or four years we hear about a unit that's folding. Uh, you know, they've, they've combined with another unit, or and they they're going through their closure procedures, and it turns out that they have, you know, I've heard fourteen thousand in one instance, uh, money just sitting in a bank account that they, they have not spent. And it's heartbreaking because imagine the fun things you could do as a Cub Scout or as a Boy Scout. Uh, imagine the fun things you could do as, or Scouts BSA uh, with $14,000. Like that's that's an amazing adventure that you could go on. That's that's a series of delicious pizza parties you could have. Like there's so <laughs> much stuff you could do with $14,000. And when we've talked with the unit leaders that are associated with something, Sometimes what they say is, well, you know, we couldn't we couldn't just spend the money because it was all tied up in scout accounts. And it was like, okay, well, they weren't using it. Like that that's that's not their money, that's scouting's money, and we're not spending it. So so if if uh, the, the folks who are listening to this take anything away from from this uh, this whole uh, podcast episode, I would say spend the money. Take the money that you raise and spend it. Uh, within a calendar year of raising it, like that's that's the that's the the basic principle for good unit finance is if the kids raise the money, spend it on the kids who raise the money, right? Um, don't bank a ton of money over time. That that that's outside of extreme circumstances. Like you're saving up to buy a troop trailer, use a separate account for that, right? Split off some money and set that aside. But um, for most things. You should be spending the money within a calendar year of the date that you raised it so that the kids who did the work get the benefit, right? Yeah, more or less, unless, if, if you are stocking up money, there should be a reason for it. Film on trip. Film we're on gonna, trip. We're going to save some money so yeah. kids can, can and, go, but you know, not we, we just want to have a $10,000 bank. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's, now, there's, I mean, there's something very um, adult about wanting to uh, accrue a nest egg, right, to have to have this, you know, this pool of money that we could draw on, you know, in our lean times, but that's that is not appropriate in, in a scouting setting. It's simply not the way to do things because, again, those kids who are raising the money aren't then seeing the benefit of it, and they might have worked really hard, right? Um, so, uh, if if you are using scout accounts, if you are, uh, you know, uh, divvying up money about who gets to spend it on different scouting things then you should have a, a policy in place that, that those accounts will get zeroed out and rolled back to the unit to spend uh, after a given period of time. Um, so that you know, there's, there's, a, there's a, a understanding between all the families in your unit and your charter organization that 
before you know before too much time has elapsed, you are going to spend that money on something fun. All right, that's I mean, scouting is a fun place. It, money, uh, what Andrews, uh, John Andrews, our CEO, loves to say that money is the root of all good, right? Um, and you know, uh, along those lines, like you need to spend this money um, with the kids. Uh, I heard a uh, a story once uh, that about a unit that uh, doesn't have scout accounts at all. Sure. So you raise money and it goes into it. You as an individual aren't going to benefit from it. But what they do to encourage you to still sell popcorn or Reese or whatever their fundraiser is, is they say, here's our benchmarks. Absolutely. If we sell if this we much popcorn well. as a unit, we're going to do this. And of course, the sky's the limit. If we sell a million dollars worth of popcorn, we're going to, yeah. yeah, we're going to Europe. We're like, yeah. you, you, you set your benchmarks and that is the encouragement to sell. And kids, uh, thinking back to when I sold popcorn, uh, I, I, I hate to, to, you know, throw my mom under the bus here, but if I didn't have enough money in my scout account to go to camp, my mom split the difference. I didn't have a super, there wasn't a lot of motivation there, except make sure you've got money in your account when I knew it, it didn't matter anyway, if I was with my whole troop and we were saying, we're going to do this, we're going to go to Europe if we sell this much, I'm much more motivated to be a part of that team. Yeah. Scout accounts are, are an interesting thing. They've, they've grown in popularity. They, they do wax and wane over, you know, over time. Uh, when I first joined the movement as a professional, like there were only a handful of units that were doing scout accounts and that never grew and grew and grew. And now they're actually kind of coming back down again. A lot of units are transitioning away from having scout accounts. Um, there are a couple of things to know about, about scout accounts. For one, the, the impulse to, to give the kids, you know, the individual kids who did the most fundraising, the most money to sort of use for scouting stuff. That's, that's a natural impulse as adults. Like we want, you know, the reward to follow the effort. Something to keep in mind though, is that uh, the playing field is not necessarily even. Not every kid uh, in a pack or in a troop or in a crew has the same opportunity to go out and fundraise. Uh, and so it's not necessarily about desire or even about effort, right? It, fundraising often is about uh, what your parents are willing to do uh, on your behalf, um, what neighborhood you live in, uh, how much free time your family has to give, you know, towards these kind of things. Uh, and that's not an even, it's not an even playing field. So uh, imagine you have uh, one Cub Scout who has, uh, you know, an older brother who's willing to take him door to door every day after school. Um, and you have another Cub Scout who is in after school care, doesn't get home until 6 p.m. Uh, when his parents get home, they eat dinner and then uh, they, then they got to take care of grandma. Right? Like those, those circumstances exist in scouting. And it's not that one Cub Scout is wanting to do better and cares about it more. It's just the circumstances are different. So uh, scout accounts aren't necessarily this grand equity building you know, tool that, that some leaders think they are. At the same time, uh, to Ryan's point about uh, you know, setting benchmarks and goals for kids, group goals, especially at the Cub Scout age, work really, really. They love, 
participating in these things as a group. Even as dumb as like getting pied in the face. Absolutely, getting pied in the face, which is I get, and it's against the rules. But I, I yeah. know people. <laughs> I'm not naive. Okay. Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> well, what do you mean? I've never seen anyone get pied in the face in a scouting. Right, of course not. Why would you do that? No, I've, I've only been pied in the face five times basically at scouting events. But, um, you know, setting setting group benchmarks and and involving kids in the design of those benchmarks, which you know bleeds into some budgeting questions like how do we how do we identify the things that we want to do uh, how do we outline our goals for the year the kids should be involved in those questions it should not be the adults looking at the calendar and saying well we went sledding in january of 2019 so we should probably go sledding in january of 2020. that's not that's not the way it's supposed to work um, and it doesn't give room for kids to get excited about new things that they might really want to try so I would suggest this is this is going into budgeting of just a little bit, just a little bit. Suggest at the beginning of the year, uh, whether that's the beginning of the program year, the beginning of the calendar year, it doesn't matter. But ask the kids, you know, sky's the limit. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? What would be what would be super fun for you as Cub Scouts to do this year? Do you want to go on a trip? Do you want to go uh, visit a cave? Do you want to camp inside a cave in Wisconsin? Do you want to uh, you want to go to um, I don't know, a museum, like what, what would be really fun? And then reverse engineer that with some dollars, right? As adults, you can figure out how much things cost pretty easily. You can lay those out and say, all right, here we go. Here are the, uh, the costs associated with this thing. So if we sold this much popcorn, uh, or if we sold this many candy bars, this is the stuff that we could do, right? Break that out into goals and then let kids decide how much they want to actually do. The cool part is it doesn't take a whole lot to impress a Cub Scout. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, the, the what do you want to do is going to be like, we want to go to Camp Snoopy as a whole pack, or we want to go to Valley Fair. And that's easy for even us to just conceptualize just, well, what, you know, what check do we have to write to make that happen? We wouldn't even need a fundraise for it. Um, but the cool things that uh, our Scouts BSA or Venturers are going to come up with oh, man. Yeah. is going to be, they're going to come up with some ridiculous yeah. ideas like going to Europe and There's, be like, well, we can, this is what we have to do. There was a pack in, uh, I want to say the north, northern part of the council that their goal was to go to a junkyard and smash the windows out of a car. Like that was that was the thing, and they that sounds did great. It. They did it. They, they they raised enough money to buy essentially a junker car and and brought sledgehammers and safety glasses and like broke the car. I mean, um, sweet kids had a great time. Also popcorn for that. Yeah, right. Um, so it, I would say you know, with Scott accounts, there's a, you know a word of caution that you not get too uh, too tied up in this idea that you know oh this kid needs to have this money. Uh, to Ryan's point, that's not always how it works out, right? It, it, sometimes parents are just going to get involved anyway. And if there's a broad understanding that this money is for everybody, um, there's still opportunities to engage kids in things that they're excited about. I'd also say that with Scott Accounts, you run the risk of families presuming that that is their money, right? Because it is your Scout account, right? Which sounds a lot like your bank account or your, your money account. And it's not that. If, if a kid is ever going to leave your program, if he's going to go, you know, to, if a, if a Cub Scout is graduating to Scouts BSA, he can transfer the balance of his Scout account to his new unit, but it has to be a direct unit to unit payment. You cannot, and I will, I will I'm not going to bang on a microphone, but, but emphasize with like loud noises and attention getting to the devices, 
you cannot give money directly to a family to like close out their scout account. You can't write them a check. The only time you should be writing checks to individuals in your unit are when they are giving you approved expense receipts. That's the only time. Um, and that's not just like, oh yeah, I also did this thing and here's, here's a receipt for it. No, it should be a pre-approved expense receipt, which naturally leads into the question of how do you know what's approved and what's not? So Ryan, you wanna talk a little bit about how units might be able to determine yeah. those things? So it, there's, there's this uh, a, kind of a gray area that you want to be careful with with spending your you know spending money from your scout account because the the money that's going in if you are using it it's supposed to be benefiting your your scouting program so the clear cut hey this is easy like we can I can say yes all the time to if your family is getting reimbursed uh, for your trip to Cub Camp that was your scouting program that you paid and, and heck the payment went to the council so. That is a reimbursement. It is not supposed to benefit the individual. Right. So technically, I, and I, I, I have seen troops, uh, even in my troop, and this is eons ago, so I don't know if it still exists, but you could use your scout account to buy scouting equipment. Uh, now, the, the, the th and that would be allowed. The problem is it's then not my axe that I bought, even though that's camping equipment, it's not my tent it should remain in the possession of the troop. Yeah. Uh, and I know, I know, I'm, I know there's troops out there. Someone buys a tent with their scout account and that tent doesn't ever come back to the troop. Uh, that does happen. But in, in technicality, it, that should belong to, to the troop now. Right. So it's a, it's a gray area because then you also talk about, well, uniforms. Well, well, the uniform is only good to me. Why would I give it back to the troop at the end? You know, so there's gray area, you, you know, so if, if you want to, draw a, a you know a hard line uh you can with your own unit through through your bylaws which is a whole uh, a whole additional conversation but uh that's uh that's what i you know the way to spend your money and it should be a another way to know if it's approved is was it budgeted for mm -hmm. is it an activity you know is it a, an event that you do is it the, the blue and gold it's budgeted for it's on the calendar whatnot if you're going outside of something that you budgeted for that year, you should really uh, get it approved at a committee meeting or something along those lines. You shouldn't just show up with a receipt for a troop trailer and say, hey, I, I got this. Yeah. Uh, you also, I mean, as a, as a, as a family, um, you shouldn't say, oh, yeah, we went to, we went to Valley Fair. And while we were there, we did some scout requirements. Can I get re reimbursed, yeah. please? Like that, that's, that wouldn't be good. Um, the IRS actually has some things to say about uh, direct benefit, which is that, that who is it who is it belong to question. Um, and for fundraising, direct benefit is a big problem, right? Mm -hmm. if, you, if you raise money on behalf of an organization, then the organization needs to have the benefit of that money. It cannot go to individuals. Um, one of the ways that we recommend units, if they are going to do scout accounts, we recommend that, it, that at least the majority of your net proceeds from a fundraiser go to the grand unit account, not an individual scout account. So if you if your kid sells $100 uh, in uh, net popcorn money, $60 goes to the unit, $40 goes in your scout account for you to determine. That helps protect the unit from any accusations of direct benefit. But even then, those $40 should be spent on scouting things, not personal things. Now, uh, we are, I want to make sure we hit on this topic before we end. I'm going to jump back to spend the money 
And one of the reasons uh, that you want to spend the money, it's a little bit of a segue here, but you want to spend your money because if there's not a lot of money in your account, there's not a lot of money for somebody to get their hands on uh, in nefarious ways. Uh, I, stealing, uh, I hate to say this about scouting, but stealing of money from unit accounts has happened. It, it, I have dealt with a few scenarios over the last year and a half, three different scenarios, totaling over $20,000 that we've had to figure out, track down, and not all of it is made whole again. Uh, so I want to talk about some strategies, whether it's, you know, specifically bylaws, because it's not necessarily a legal thing. Um, if you steal money, that is illegal. Yeah. But what so steps that units right? should be taking to don't, don't protect steal. their accounts? Right. Okay. So uh, you, you mentioned bylaws. Um, those of you who might not know, bylaws are simply written down rules for your unit. Um, and a lot of units uh, have a variety of bylaws. They can, they can outline the rules for all kinds of things. They can outline rules for uh, how meetings are going to be conducted, uniform. how uniforms are, you know, what's considered a full uniform. Uh, what are the expectations uh, for uh, attendance at events, um, uh, you know, they also can have disciplinary aspects to them. Like, you know, what happens if a kid misbehaves? What happens if something is disruptive? Like, what what are the results and what are the what are the rules and consequences associated with that? But having financial bylaws uh, is really it is a, a a protection for not just the unit and the charter organization, but for all those kids in that unit as well um, who are going to work hard to raise money. You want to be able to protect that money, and so. You need to have fairly clear outlines on how money gets spent, right? How, how if, if you're going to use Scout accounts, how does that work? Who's in charge of, of allocating that? What expenses are considered valid? How are reimbursements made? Um, who is eligible uh, to make discretionary purchases? Like if, you know, can the Cub Master say, well, I just decided I want to buy cupcakes for the meeting? Okay, that should be in your bylaws. Your bylaws should be written down um, and, and published annually to every family in your unit and your charter organization. Everybody on your committee, your charter organization, and every family in your unit should have a copy that they get every year that says, these are the rules, okay? There should also be, one of the bylaws should be, how do these bylaws change? Because no set of rules uh, is gonna be good forever, right? The, the universe revolves and changes and society changes and our expectations changes and tools like Venmo and tools like PayPal come on board and, and like a lot of you don't have those in their bylaws, but maybe they should. So um, have those things written down and include a, a method for uh, editing and changing those bylaws with approval from the committee and from the charter organization um, and then share them with everybody. Those bylaws can protect you um, when a family decides that they want to leave the program and they demand their money, right? They want, they want their scout account back. Well, your bylaws very clearly say, this is not your money, it belongs to the unit and it's going to be used for X, Y, and Z. They'll have, they'll at least be able to say, oh, well, yeah, I read that, I didn't like it. And, and the IRS might have something and to say about, have about to say. That, that particular yeah. example. Um, uh, but as far as when, uh, you know, one thing that, that I dealt with in the last year, and I'm gonna probably hit on uh, a number of the things that you, yeah. unit shouldn't be doing, is a unit found out the bank account was empty when a check bounced. Uh, so luckily, luckily they had a former treasurer that was still on the account, able to shut things down. Uh, but they had uh, they had a, a card that they could use, and they 
the treasurer report was all through Excel documents. Yeah. Okay. So thoughts on that? Big couple of big things, and these are all intertwined in the bylaws conversation. Um, the first is in your bylaws, you should have it written down that every month your bank statements will be presented to the committee, right? Whoever your treasurer is, whoever has access to that bank account, their responsibility is to is to publish and present the bank statement so that at a bare minimum, your unit knows exactly how much money you and have. And very specifically, bank statement, not yes. Excel not, documents, not, just, not Word document. Napkin and this is how much and I've have. heard of some units going as far as the bank statement or at least another copy of the bank statement gets mailed to somebody who is not the treasurer. Absolutely. So they it's coming live from yeah. the bank. And if there's if you need a secondary person, your charter org representative is a good fit mm -hmm. for that role. Um, because your charter org should know too how much money you have. Now I want to make clear having a bank statement is not the same as having a budget, right? Now just knowing how much money you have is not the same as having a plan for how much money you will need and how much money you'll spend. It doesn't it's not the same thing. This is a protective measure so that everybody in the unit has eyes on your bank account and says, yep, that's how much money we have. Yep, that matches with our budget. Yep, that's how much money we spent. Makes sense, right? Put that in your bylaws. At the same time, lots of banks, and, and there, there are all kinds of different banking situations for units, but lots of banks, when you open a checking account, will give you a debit card. I would suggest- Cut it in half. Cut it in half, throw it away. There's no good reason to use that card. Um, most of your checks should be reimbursements, right? Unless the, the pack is, you know, uh, renting a magician for the evening or whatever. Like that, those, yes, you can make that payment, but those people take checks too. Um, you should not have a debit card because it's so easy to misuse. Um, I have a story from uh, uh, when I was first, I don't know, it was probably a five-year deed or something. Uh, we had a unit leader who, in a moment of weakness, uh, quote unquote, took out the wrong card at the casino and drained the packed bank account Oof. and felt real horrible about it, but that money was gone. Um, and uh, it was it was not great. Now, had could he have done that somehow with a checking account? Maybe, but the temptation was so close, right? There was a, that other card right next to his normal card in his wallet, it was so close. So. Uh, I would recommend not using those cards. If you need to make online purchases, have a leader make that purchase and turn in a receipt, right? That's, uh, there's, you just don't need. And a lot of online places will accept, you know, all of our council payments will accept yeah. HD, uh, -huh. uh yeah. electronic, yeah, electronic stuff. checks. Yeah. Um, I'd also say, uh, if you can, with your bank, require two signatures on every check that goes out to them, two signatures. Those signatures, one of them is probably going to be your treasurer because they're going to have the most activity, but one of them should be somebody that doesn't live in your treasurer's house. Okay, uh, it could be it could be anybody on the committee. It could be any any adult associate unit. It could be a charter board. You want them to be somewhat convenient because you're going to need to have you know that signature there, uh, but they should not live in the same house. Um, we used to say you know your your treasurer can't be married to you know the other signature, but you know living situations could be all kinds of different things. They shouldn't live together. They shouldn't be a couple. Uh, you know, that you just want to avoid that. Uh, and again, that's that's for protection for the unit, for the, the funds in the unit, but also for, you know, you don't want anybody to be accused of wrongdoing. You don't want any suspicions of wrongdoing. Um, you can use it to protect yourself. Yeah.
Yeah, so, everything you say. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. Um, I would say there are a lot of resources available on this stuff. Um, they're not. Uh, there's a lot of confusion about what the rules are because there aren't very many rules. There's a lot of guidance. Um, each unit is different because that ownership belongs to the charter org. But if you need bylaws, Google unit bylaws, BSA, and copy and paste. You know, borrow and steal. Uh, in this case, stealing is good, right? If you're stealing ideas. Bylaws. Ideas. Um, but if you also need more help, um, reach out to your DE or reach out to council staff. Uh, we're always willing to have these conversations. And every circumstance is different. And you know, um, uh, we're, we're certainly willing to talk with you about yours. So, you know, and to that end, you know, check with your charter organization. They might already have some sort of their form of bylaws. You know, it never hurts. You know, if you have an official partnership with them, see what they have. You know, they might have some rules that you need to follow around. You know, money and stuff like that. So check with them and. You know, if they have suggestions, you can write those into your own unit bylaws. But uh, thank you, Greg, for joining us today. Uh, that was a great conversation. I think there's a lot of good information there. Um, there's plenty more we could have talked about, but maybe we'll hit that in a, in a future episode. We'll bring you back and talk about some more Sounds great. stuff in depth. But uh, yeah, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Ryan, I think you and I will be back later with uh, some more content here. Oh, but yeah. uh, in the meantime, we hope you enjoyed this conversation on uh, unit finance. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to your local professional or to Northern Star Council.